The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Now I'm going to read today's scripture, which is from Luke 24, 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. When he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Uh, It's good to see you. If I missed you earlier, uh, my name is Stacy Croft, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row, and I'm excited to uh, for our formation hour to sit and actually hear uh, some wonderful teaching and get to know and meet some of you. Hopefully, you're able to stay. It's a great time that we're starting to do uh, on a regular basis, at least once a month, and then we're going to see how that goes and continue to add in as we can. And, uh, and that way, we're also not only hearing good teaching, but getting to, to be together. Our, uh, uh, not only is Becky teaching our, our new student coordinator, Jake Patterson's here. He's going to be leading our students this morning, which is great, in uh, Fondren Hall. And, and then every age is going to have an opportunity for that. Well, we finished this um, last Sunday with a series on the Psalms. It's a, that's actually a book in the, um, in the Old Testament. And it's kind of like a, a songbook, a set list, so to speak, of uh, the songs that are in the Old Testament written by David primarily and then a number of other people. Next week, we're starting our um, new series on a letter called Colossians. And typically in our church, what we like to do is we like to take the Bible open it, look at a passage or a book entirety and walk through it together. And that's what we do in our church. I usually am preaching that or we may have somebody that does that. Today is kind of this one uh, sermon that all of our locations are doing. It's kind of a uh, a one-off and I wanted to do kind of a bridge between our Psalm series and our next series. And as you even got to hear in that passage, there's a little bit about the Psalms in it. Uh, and when I was a kid, uh, I remember this, I was this kind of guy that I, I enjoyed trying to take apart things and figure out how they worked. 
And um, I, I really wanted to know how a battery worked at the time. And so I got this battery big enough that I could, you know, try and dismantle it. And instead of taking, you know, like, like a thoughtful, careful person might do, as a younger person, I took a hammer to it and tried to break it open because I was like, how does this thing work? It's kind of cool. It's like all condensed. It gives like power to all these things. You just stick it in there and it just it makes things move. It makes things make noises. I mean, it's everywhere. Well, I remember as I'm pounding it going, man, I can't wait to see what's in it. You know, so it's like pieces of it are flying off. And some of the acids of what you may not know is there's a thing called battery acid in each, any of those things. And um, I hit it and the battery acid flew up into my eye. And of course, my parents were like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Why are you doing? They took me to the emergency room and, and they had to flush my eye out. And, you know, that was my great grand work of, I still don't know what the inside of a battery looks like to me. Uh, and, uh, but, but, you know, the, the Bible begins that way. I remember when I was, I was younger as well, and I was at a camp and I was hearing somebody talk about um, Jesus and this passage sort of, of the resurrection. And they mentioned things like he was in a tomb and the rock was moved back and he came out and he was there. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? How does this thing work? Like all I knew was that Jesus kind of died. Like the cross was it and that was the focal point. But actually in this passage we see, no, no, no. There is a, a, something beyond the cross called the resurrection. And Jesus, in this passage, it's interesting, and even right before this, takes a moment to unpack the Bible. Now, what, what do you think Jesus would do? He, he, he resurrects, he comes back from the dead, and, and what do you think the first thing he would do for his disciples? You, you think he'd say, okay, now it's time to get to work. Now they're like, let's do this, let's take over Rome. You know, what, what would it be? And he doesn't give them more work to do. He doesn't say, hey, you need to read your Bibles more. You need to be in church. You need to be doing, you know what he does? He says, how does the Bible work? How do you read it? That's what he does. He opens it up. He unpacks it. And he doesn't say, you need to read it. He says, here's how you read it. Here's what it means. Here's how it's all fulfilled. And it points to him. This passage happens right after the resurrection. There are a couple instances where Jesus appears to some disciples. In this one in particular, they, they had already seen him once. They had gone back to another group of disciples to say, we just saw Jesus. What do we do? They're talking about these things, it said. And just Jesus stood among them. And there's a lot of mystery in these passages, but there's all a lot of tangibility and that's what we're going to look at today is what is Jesus showing us from his resurrection, from the reality of him raising from the dead, that helps us know how do we do this? How do we really read the Bible? How do we pray? We're about to even come more into uh, our formation hour to talk further about what that looks like. But we're going to look at this passage and even the Psalms and how the Psalms fit into this in three ways. We're going to look at his body his words, and his witnesses. That's what this passage really gives us, his body, his words, and his witnesses. And as this passage begins, it kind of 
jumps in. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. Yeah, really. I mean, you would be. (laughs) The guy that they thought they were following, they thought was going to bring in the new world for them the new political campaign they were on, the the guy who was feeding 5,000 people, who was raising other people from the dead, just died. They were like, this is our ticket, this is how it's gonna work, and he's gone. And then all of a sudden he stands among them? Yeah, they're startled and frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit. Now, this is right, right? Now, many of us read passages like this and go, okay, they were more gullible then, reason, science, you know. That, no, 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 no. They knew if someone died, they were not supposed to stand among them, okay? He said, they thought they saw a spirit. But Jesus said, hey, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that is, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones to see that I have. Now, if there's one thing that repeats in, these, in verses 36 to 43 is over and over, see and touch, hands and feet. The person who wrote Luke, Luke was actually a doctor. And he was somebody who got really good eyewitness accounts. If there's something he wants them to know, it's not just a spirit. It's that Jesus is standing there. His body is real. And he layers this to say, these are eyewitness accounts. I know today is um, 9-11. I don't know how much that rings to you. Uh, some of you may have heard of 9-11. Some of you uh, weren't, may not even born until uh, far after. Some of us actually remember, I remember watching the events of 9-11, planes and the buildings, the whole tragedy on screen, thinking, is this real? Unbelievable. And I don't know if you've had a chance to go to New York uh, now that they have the memorial <clears throat> where there are two giant holes where those buildings once existed. It's, 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 it's one of those moments where when you walk up and you see just the water cascading in it, the names written around it, and the museum next to it where you can walk through, with the, they still have steel from it. It just it brings into your mind this this moment of, you, you almost can't even wrap your arms around it. This actually happened in our, in our world, in our country, and, and with people that actually still to this day, and possibly even in this room, not only just saw it on a screen or were even from New York, but were actually there and saw the smoke cascading around the city. I remember talking to a friend who actually was working there, and talking to him on the phone, him saying, yes, I heard the sirens, I saw the smoke. It was awful. And it's one of those things, when you, when, you, when you see it on screen, it's one thing, but to talk to somebody who actually was there, and to relive it, and that thing shut down, and I know all over the country, everything started shutting down, but to be in the place where it was shut down, and the panic of people running it up and down the streets, the eyewitnesses of those people were st- are still to this day around us. And this was years ago, this was 2001. And yet there are eyewitnesses who see that. This is actually what Luke is trying to present to us. Is that the tangibility of the resurrection isn't based on some spirit or that they heard voices, but that he actually rose and the tragedies of the cross actually and what happened appeared before them in Jesus. He said, see, touch, feel. 
Here are my hands and feet. Look at them. Put your finger on them. Can you imagine actually doing that? For a number of the disciples who thought they just saw a spirit, touch me and see. And here's what's fascinating. If you think about for a moment, and we may not ask these kind of questions. I don't know if you do. And when you read the passages, I hope you ask a lot of questions. In fact, we're going to talk about that some today, even in Formation Hour. But if you think about why did Jesus, if he resurrected from the dead, and this is how he's supposed to be in glory, like the body of Jesus coming up, why does he still have the marks of the nails in his hands and feet? Have you ever thought about that? He not only carried them when he resurrected, but when it says that he was lifted up and ascended into heaven, that he carried those marks with him into heaven. Have you ever thought, why in the world does Jesus continue to bear those marks? The marks that he bore came with him out of the grave first to, to show the disciples that the cross and his body is evidence that Jesus has come from the grave. That he wasn't just some illuminated spirit. He was a, a real person, though he could vanish and he could, he could show up. I, things I don't know. I was hearing a friend of mine talk about this passage the other day and asking questions and it was so good. Does, it shows that he eats a piece of broiled fish with them. Does a resurrected body have saliva? Yes. I guess resurrected body, we eat. (laughs) All sorts of questions in this passage. But the things that Luke wants us to know is that he's physical. He's tangible. He's real. And that the marks in his body aren't just for the evidence of him showing the resurrection that he raised from the dead. But actually, he carries those marks and he still has them right now. And this is where it gets really powerful, is that the marks on his body are treasured glory of what he holds for us right at this very moment. Uh, I'm living across the street in a a house across from a friend of ours who owns this rental property, and their old home is getting torn down on Monday. And it's one of those places that uh, we, actually, friends of ours that we've known for years when our children were babies and they grew up together. And he came over to that house yesterday and uh, got into it and was, you know, they're about to rip it to shreds. And you kind of look at a house like that, and especially we started walking around in it and looking at rooms and um, thinking of the spaces where our children were, were, were literal babies sitting on couches together and you kind of look at spaces like that and you go, man, in, in, in an instant, it's just going to be wiped away. But one of the things that he did when we were in there, he's like, okay, if all this is going to be torn out, I'm, I'm taking a few mementos of this thing, okay? So he like uprooted some of the concrete uh, countertops that he put in. And we were like carrying like these 60 pound things out, like an oven, uh, like a, du- a Dutch door. You know those Dutch doors? Like you, nobody see, you don't see the, it's the, where the door is cut in half and half of it opens, you know? And, and we like took that off. All these really sweet, tangible things that he put in. And he's this kind of guy that thinks so beautifully about those tangible things. To take with him, to remind him of every single bit of what that house means. Of what life is in that house. Here's what the resurrection scars of Jesus do right now for us. In this very moment, 
It's not that Jesus raised from the dead and went to heaven and we're just left here to try and figure out and hold on by faith that one day he's going to come back. It actually means that right now those tangible scars hold us with treasure. Like that old house, they keep exactly what he's done for us, not just then, but right now. So that when we come and we worship the Lord and we speak of Jesus and who he is, he physically, in flesh, tangibly keeps the work that he has done for you and me against our sin, against the brokenness, all the injustice we see. It's not something we just hope till he returns. It's in the moment right now. He still bears the marks of taking up that cross and defeating it out of the grave at this very moment in flesh. In other words, there's not a moment that your flesh is missed by him taking it up in himself. It's the glory that he, he has. There's an old hymn that was written in the 19th century <clears throat> called Crown Him with Many Crowns. Crown Him with Many Crowns. It kind of goes like that. Why crown Him with Many Crowns? One of them says, Crown Him the Lord of Love. Behold His hands and side. Rich wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. Rich wounds that He still bears. Because his tangible body is so important. You know, most of the heresies that came in the early centuries, uh, most of the, the wrong theology, the, the false understandings of who Jesus was, were not about his humanity. They were about his divinity. See, most, most of the time today, we struggle with, is Jesus really God? Then they struggle with, is Jesus really man? Does he really have flesh? Could he really hold that in himself? Because so rich are those wounds yet visible above that hold you and I in every element of our life. That his body is, is not only resurrected but ascended and keeps us. And his words go with that. He says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. When he resurrects, again, Jesus doesn't resurrect and say, hey, time to read your Bibles. Time to pick them up, let's go. He says, how do you read your Bible? And I think this gets to the crux of how much of us struggles with what does it really mean to have a relationship with the Lord. First, with the living Lord, who, again, he, because he lives, we're not just having a relationship with some ethereal thought. We're actually in relationship with somebody who came and not even death could hold him from us to be in relationship. But he also gives us his words to unpack so we know how to have relationship with him. The Psalms are mentioned in here, and, and I think this is one thing that's really beautiful, is that it's saying, it's unpacking for us the three parts of the Old Testament and the Hebrew understanding. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now those are, you know, the books that we know in the, in the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament are within those three divisions. But the Psalms itself hold a lot of those poetic writings. And in fact, the Psalms are so important because they anticipate the suffering of the Messiah. Notice what Jesus says. 
that they must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed of all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That his words go out. They're, they're, they're so important to what it means to unpack. And I think that word fulfilled is a really important word for us to camp on. Because when something's fulfilled or accomplished, you really know it true. And Jesus is saying that, that all of these things aren't just fulfilled in me as if it's some sort of like cool pointing or arrow. To fulfill means that Jesus isn't just a part of history. He's the culmination of it. That's a very different thing to say. That Jesus isn't saying, I'm just a great figure who's created all these things, or I've arisen, here's a great miracle that I've done. He's actually saying, all of history culminates in me. All of it comes to me. And then it unpacks in these 66 books, these 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, to unpack and tell us from a million different angles what that looks like. Uh, I don't know if you grew up on this. I grew up on Sesame Street. I don't even know if it's even on. Is it even on anymore? Um, okay, some of you are shaking your heads. So you either watch it or you're watching it with someone. Um, so I remember it, it changed a lot when I was a kid. So it always had like a couple things it would talk about, right? Um, now it's become almost like a, a, a quasi Saturday Night Live for kids. You know, they have like all these celebrities on it, like Jimmy Fallon and other things. And they'll do like parodies from actual shows, like Mad Men or something. They'll actually have Muppets that are just mad all the time or something. It's just, I don't know. Um, you, you can tell, yes, I have watched it a few times recently. Um, but it is interesting how it does, but the genius of what Sesame Street did over many other shows was it would take like a letter and a number and just drill it into your head, almost annoyingly so. That would be like, and at the beginning they'd say, hey, this show's about the letter H and the number seven. And then they'd talk about H in like hopping or hitting or high or, you know, like they'd say it 50 different times and they'd highlight the, or they'd talk about the number. And every time they'd get to the number seven, they would say, there's seven here. And then these Muppets would go crazy, right? And by the end of it, they go, and this was brought to you by the, and you're like, okay, we got it. H and seven are important. But isn't that beautiful how they did it? It was genius because what they did it was they got two letters. They took the basic blocks. And by the time that was over, from a million different angles, you saw what you were supposed to know when you left. That is exactly what the 66 books in the Bible do. The 66 books in the Bible tell from a hundred different ways. Poetry, law, history, writing, Narratives, practices, everything, every different angle. Here is what it means in the full picture of redemption in Jesus Christ. And I, and I think for many of us, we move past that often. And we miss the elementary, beautiful picture of that the Bible isn't about us. It's not about you and me. 
And we have individualized it, and we've looked at even the Psalms in that way, but the the Psalms themselves are pointing. It says, there's to be one who's without corruption, whose body won't see corruption, and will point us to where it's going. And the words of the Psalms drive us to say there's someone anticipated in poetry, the wisdom of the Proverbs, David's writings and songs, in in, in events, Israel from Exodus, Jonah in the fish is even used over and over, not as allegory, but to point to him. See, here's the problem. If we jump from, from from the Old Testament just to Jesus without looking at the context and history, we make Jesus an allegory. But if we just stay in the history and without pointing it to Jesus, we make it all moralistic. But what we see is all of the story points back to that. This is why even the people before the cross looked forward to it and our faith looking backwards to it is the same faith. We're looking back to the one. History continues to culminate in who we are in Jesus. His words, the practices in Leviticus, all the books, the books of the Bible, you're like, when you say, I'm gonna start reading the Bible all the way through, and you get to that point in the Bible, like Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know those books? Maybe you've heard of those books because they're the ones you immediately go, okay, what? how many things can they sacrifice? How many begats can I read? How many census do they take in this thing? Even those things are driving to the purposes of God's redemption. They're pointing to it, the prophecies, Jesus, the suffering. And we'll see countless parts of the prophecies every time we come to Advent and Christmas. That's what we're looking at, that they're looking forward to that. Just as we look backwards to the one who's come and still look forward to the one who will come again. And you know one of the things they mention in these passages that talk about that their hearts began to burn within them. That when Jesus would do this, that their hearts began to burn. Don't sometimes you just wish you could have felt that? But you know what the scripture is saying to us? That we can actually experience that same thing. That that burning within them wasn't some sort of like extra cool thing, magical way that Jesus just opened the scripture. It burned within them because they really understood and met their Savior, Jesus Christ, through what he was unpacking in the Bible. That the ways that we're burned, bored, or cynical with the Scripture, that the Bible itself is just this historical book, actually is so much more the reason it becomes so chalky and something we just, oh, check it off our list. And the reason Jesus didn't just say, hey, read your Bible, pray, get back into those practices. Now that I've raised from the dead, if you get in line, you got it. He said, how do you read it? It's because you're meeting someone every time you go to it. Every angle of it, every song in it, it's culminating, it's driving, it's pointing to God's full picture of redemptive history that they and we are a part of. And it's incredible. You know, the last thing that he finishes here is is not just to them talking about the Bible. He finishes by saying this in verse 48, you are my witnesses of these things. 
And I behold, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. You know, as he finishes that, and when he speaks to the fact of the witnesses, what it means to be a witness, that can sound like a very intense thing for us, (laughs) to be a witness. I was in a, uh, a meeting not too long ago, and um, it was a meeting for um, our children who are moving on from sixth grade to seventh grade. And it was a meeting with a bunch of parents who are trying to make sense of where, where are our kids going to go from sixth grade to seventh grade? Because the school our kids go to ends in sixth grade. And it began with, okay, here are all the statistics, here's moving. And all of a sudden, the person leading it so beautifully and masterfully stopped and said, the intensity that everybody feels about moving from sixth grade to seventh grade is just not normal. <laughs> everybody started laughing. And they're like, because the, you know why? Uncomfortably laughing, because this person speaking, she, she knew that she was seeing right through us. She goes, hey, the intensity that you all feel about a grade, by the way, seventh grade is a grade that you all want for your children, and you have so much intensity for it, and yet... What do you remember about seventh grade? I hated it. It was so hard. Why are we putting so much emphasis on one grade, one movement, one time? We are witnesses of what we really care about. We are witnesses of what we really give the most intensity to. What Jesus is saying here is that to be his witnesses means that do we really have a relationship with him? Not one that's some strange, you gotta stand on a corner and yell out something, but that it emanates from you because you meet with him. Because you're in relationship with him. And not only that, he says there's a promise of my father upon you. That promise he's talking about is the Holy Spirit and it has everything to do with this table. And here's something crazy. That Jesus is saying in this moment, and he says to his disciples, it is better for you that I go because the promise of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, means you will have more of me than you do right now. In other words, what it means is that when you taste this table, it means you're having a tangible reminder that you have more of Jesus now than they did even then. Think about this. When Jesus was walking on the earth, only so many people could be around him. But when he left and he sent his spirit, and I know there's so much in that to unpack, and we can do that together. But that means that you actually are closer to him all the time, every moment. And that this table is that. This table is this is not just a memorial. It's not magical. It's tangible. You actually taste it. You feel it. You smell it. You ingest it. You take it in. And what you're receiving is how the Holy Spirit feeds your insides by faith. The places that you go, how can I change? The places that you go, how can he touch that? How can he reach that? Jesus said, it's better for you that I go so that I can get into you and be with you in ways that you can be my witnesses. Don't even worry about, you, you will emanate me because you are so close to me. That's what this table means.
That's what this table gives to us. If you're here this morning and possibly this table and what I've said this morning is kind of weird or crazy, maybe you're like, gosh, okay, those are good arguments, but I don't know if I follow Jesus. And I really encourage you not necessarily to just take of this table, but either come forward, fold your hands, receive the benediction, come grab me afterwards. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about who Jesus really is because the Bible pulls no punches. It says, here's evidence. Here's who he is. Let's talk about him. And if you're here this morning and possibly you have the doubts that arise in your hearts, just like the disciples did, so do I. Guess what? They're there all the time. Come taste again and be reminded of the evidence of a risen Savior that is closer to you even now than he was even when he walked on this earth and continues to bear the marks of your salvation on him even in this very moment as he speaks your name as the advocate for you of all time and space until he returns. Amen? Let's stand together.